0: The following is an exclusive podcast for the Dermatology Digest. Today, Dr. Nathaniel Jelinek, Assistant Clinical Professor, Department of Dermatology, Warren Alpert Medical School, Brown University, Providence, Rhode Island, and President, Council for Nail Disorders, discusses raising awareness about nail issues, as well as specific Mohs techniques to improve nail unit squamous cell carcinoma treatment outcomes. Here's Dr. Jelinek. In terms of diagnosis, it's an underrecognized phenomenon and increasingly highly associated with high-risk HPV, whether it's 16, 18, or others. So much so that recent literature suggests it can be considered a sexually transmitted infection. So that's an interesting point, and it teaches us something when we're seeing patients with this to consider asking them about exposure to high-risk HPV and considering sexual contacts and screening. So that's a sort of important update there. Uh, the other thing we know, and we've done this for a long time, is that squamous cell carcinoma on the nail unit is uh, fraught with delays in diagnosis. That's because it could mimic several other diagnoses, warts, chronic paronychia, acute paronychia. And because of that and because of a general uh, unease with biopsying the nail unit, tends to have delays in diagnosis. And that's something we see also uh, in the literature. And so knowing that, uh, we try to raise people's awareness about nail issues that are either varucous and like um, people with high risk factors such as high risk HPV, tobacco, immunosuppression, history of ionizing radiation, such as a radiologist um, and, uh, and then to biopsy early to make these diagnoses. In terms of treatment, my presentation focused mostly on the data and techniques with Mohs surgery. Uh, and there are a number of papers in the last three years highlighting the utility of Mohs surgery and the general efficacy. And in most cases, what we're able to do is spare the digit. Because historically for nail unit squamous cell carcinoma and nail melanoma in situ even, uh, the treatment was uh, amputation or disarticulation at some level. And it, it, in most cases now, we don't need to do that. And so I was able to show series from... Uh, multiple centers around the world using the utility of Mohs surgery and the data showing very good cure rates. But then the trick is, why are the cure rates not as good as that on the skin? Because the Mohs surgery for squamous cell carcinoma routinely uh, yields ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent cure rates, and yet it's consistently lower when we look at most historic uh a series in the uh literature for nail unit cell carcinoma and i think there are multiple factors there one it's associated with high risk hpv so when we treat the carcinoma there may still be high risk hpv around and if that's oncogenic it triggers another uh, mutation and you have a sort of second primary in that high uh, risk field another is that uh the anatomy is hard uh and and you think about it you have a nail plate you have one to three millimeters of nail tissues and then the bone so we're really operating on this hard rigid structure and very frequently the carcinomas dive and either abut or superficially invade the periosteum or even the superficial uh, portion of the bone and so because of that uh, if one isn't comfortable with the bone as a deep layer you sort of you know go more superficial than you would otherwise Versus in a cutaneous tumor where you have layers of tissue, it's much easier to achieve a deep margin. And so I showed several techniques about how you might approach surgically the the nail unit carcinomas. And this is based on our center being really a regional referral center for this sort of thing. And our own data, which is now... 12 years old and counting, which shows uh, no recurrences actually at at the current point. So very good data and how did we achieve it? So, um, excuse me, one thing we often do is we remove the tissue down to the bone. That's like a first step. And uh, the the thing is when you process that tissue and evaluate on FOS sections, it's not unusual to see tumor at the deep margin. And that could be for multiple reasons. You could have a true positive. It's It's there, it's invading bone. It could be a false positive, meaning you just face the the tissue block and just cutting in a little bit, microns even, you hit these in situ or superficially invasive tumors that have been baited down and they're at the deep plane. But either way, you're in a quandary because you have tumor at the depth. And so I highlight using the bone cutter. Uh, Some people could use a chisel, but a bone cutter allows you to take clean specimens of the soft tissue and bone at the depth of the defect, process them by frozen section, and achieve clear margins. And then that's sort of the key step, in I think, in getting the, the cure rates we've gotten. The other new point, uh, maybe it's not so new, we published it, I think, in 2014, but still not widely utilized, is that when you cut tissue on the nail to process for frozen sections, you do not evulse the nail. You cut through the nail plate and you process the tissue with the nail plate attached. This is counterculture to all teaching for nail surgeries, where the first thing you do is you avulse the nail, look at the underlying tissues, and then do your surgery. But because the nail plate is so adherent to the nail bed epithelium, when you avulse the nail plate, you actually remove some of the nail bed epithelium with it, so that when you excise the nail bed and look at the margins, you don't have epithelium to make your call as to whether it's clear or, or positive. And so when you remove it with the plate, you actually see the nail bed epithelium perfectly. It's easy read. All of a sudden, these cases that were challenging for me very early in my career are not quick cases. They're quick cases. They're relatively straightforward. The pathology is excellent and uh, replicable. So that's that's been a, a neat advance just I've seen in my career. And the final point with the most surgical approach to these cases is that Again, historically, there have been a number of reconstructive approaches, whether it's grafts or, um, flaps to cover the, cover the wound. And increasingly for us, we let them granulate. We let them heal by a second intention and they heal amazingly well of those type of wounds and how remarkably they heal without intervention. So that's the, the big summary, I think, in my state of the art. This has been an exclusive podcast with the Dermatology Digest find more at www.thedermdigest.com. Thank you for joining us.